Wait, I've missed that. I've been talking to a camera for a while, and it doesn't respond at all, so feel free this morning. Actually, no, I, I beg you, do so, any response. I don't care. Courtesy laugh, that's fine with me. Amen, yes, anything, just anything. Turns out a camera and a sound guy in the room really doesn't interact much at all. So, all right, um, we're in Genesis 15 to 17 this morning, walking through the book of Genesis. So if you want to start turning there, but I couldn't help but think of the song, Father Abraham. How many of you know this song? If you know, just join. Okay, Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had... Nice. I am one of them. So are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. And then we won't do the whole thing. Okay. But that, as fun as that would be. Right. All right. So most of you know that. If you don't, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Check it out. Um, we're going to, I always wondered as a kid, what does that mean? Well, we're going to dive into the meaning of that song a little bit. But more importantly, the meaning of the text this morning. And I was struck by two things in these chapters, Genesis 15 to 17, and the first is just that God is ridiculously patient with people. He's just ridiculously patient with people, with Abraham in particular in this passage. And by the way, I'm going to call him the wrong name probably half the time because his name changes in this passage. So just show me grace. Sarah, Sarai, Abram, Abraham, Abe. We know who we're talking about, okay? Um, So God's ridiculously patient, and secondly, Abe trusts God, but he's really hesitant to trust him. So I want us to find some rest this morning in the fact that God is ridiculously patient with us as well. And also find some rest in the fact that Father Abraham, the man of faith that says in the New Testament, was actually really hesitant to have faith in God. And isn't that us a lot of the time? So let's get into the text. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abe in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, here's the hesitancy, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And God is so patient. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. It's talking about Eliezer. Whoever that was, we don't really know. But not his son. That's what's important. He's not going to be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, I just imagine God just taking him putting his, shoulder, his hand around his shoulder, walking him outside. Just a real fatherly moment. I'm, I'm proud of you, son, time moment. And he goes, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is incredible. Abe, who was hesitant and forgetful, because remember chapter 12, God promised him these same exact things, and Abe is like, yeah, but I don't know, it's, it's probably going to be this guy who's, who's in my household, but not my son who's going to be my heir, and, and God's just so patient, he's like, no, it's going to be your son. 
He's so patient. He's so gracious. And Abe, this, this hesitantly trusting guy, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. He gets right standing with God. God is so patient. It, it reminds me of Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew 17 where he's talking about if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And a mustard seed, I always think of a sesame seed on like a Big Mac bun. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Um, mustard seeds are actually smaller than that. But I always think of like that. If I just can have that amount of faith, I can do incredible things through God. And so, same with Abe. He gets righteousness. He gets right standing with God for having some hesitant faith that's counted to him as righteousness. It just shows that the focus here really isn't Abe's faith or trust. It's God. It's God's patience, his tender promise to him. So let's keep reading. God continues to be patient. Abe continues to be hesitant. Verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Do you ever learn, Abe? Verse 9, and he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old. Now, now first, let me just say, if I was God at this moment, I would go, I've told you several times now, okay? If this, if this was my son, I have a couple sons to be like, I already told you, okay? But no, he, he spells it out again. Verse 9, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm sorry, I had to, I had to. Not a partridge in a pear tree, a turtle dove though was there. And a young pigeon, verse 10, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them each over against the other. So half the animal here, half the animal there. But he did not cut the birds in half. Not really sure why. That'd probably be kind of hard. Um, And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So here, he's having a little faith. He's like, all right, God's going to show me something. So get out of here, vultures. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now remember that. Store that and remember that later. Abram's asleep during all of this. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now what you have to realize is this is some prophecy from God. He's looking forward and saying, hey, I know what's going to happen. And he's actually trying to to put hope and assurance in them because their original audience were the Israelites. This is Moses writing this, and they, they would have known, oh yeah, that was us. We were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And God is going, hey, this was all part of my plan. Verse 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation, on Egypt, that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, these dead animal pieces, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, 
the land of the Kenites, the, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Whew, made it through the list. Thank you. Yeah, see, that's, this is fun. Cameras don't do that. Um, but Abe is a little less hesitant here, but he's still hesitant in verse 8. He's asking God, can I really be sure that this is going to happen? And God is so patient, like I said, instead of just scolding him, goes, no, I'll show you. But I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to tell you again what I promised. I'm going to show you through a ceremony. And this was called a, a covenant ceremony. Now, a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. Um, the closest thing we have in our day and age is, is a marriage ceremony. And what would happen during these covenant ceremonies is what happened here. They would usually cut animals in half and have both parties walk in between those animals. Okay, really, really gruesome. But it, it's, it's saying, hey, I'm promising as I walk through these, if I go back on my promise, then you can treat me like one of these animals. I'm good as dead if I don't come through. So this is more than just, hey, um, I promise I'll do this for you. No, this is like, I promise I'll do this for you. And if I don't, I'm a dead man. Imagine if we did that today in a marriage ceremony. We do the giving of the rings and then quick bring in the dead animal parts on the stage, walk through quick. White, white bride's dress would, would not survive that, but um, that'd be kind of weird. But it would be incredibly um, symbolic and, and a really cool picture. I don't, I'm not promoting that, okay? But... Um, but, I mean, how powerful is that? I'm gonna, I, will, I will die. You can kill me if I go back on this. But what's unique here is that this is a unilateral covenant. This is a unilateral promise. Only God walks between these pieces. And God is saying, if I go back on my promise here, I will cease to be God. And he is God. He's never going to cease to be God. God cannot die. So this, this promise is secure. Abe, remember, he's sleeping. And so a smoke, uh, a smoke and fire representing God go between them. And the original audience would have known this. This is the Israelites. They were led by a pillar of fire and, and of smoke during the day and, and fire during the night. And so this would have been a sign to them. Oh yeah, this is God. And this is this is what it's like for us as Christians. We are dead in our sin, sleeping like Abe, dead in our sins, and Jesus goes to the cross for us. And that's how we can be secure in His promise to us as well. But let's continue to chapter 16. Abe and Sarah don't just hesitantly trust, they actually are really impatient and start to distrust God here. 16 verse 1, Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. 
And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. This section of Scripture reminds me a lot of Genesis 3. There's the active sin of Eve and of Sarah. Eve ate the fruit that she knew she wasn't supposed to eat. She was deliberately disobedient. And Sarah, in verse 2 here, blames God and even tries to be God by offering innocent Hagar to sleep with Abe. She wanted offspring. She's like, I know, I, I, I know God promised this to me, but time is ticking. I'm getting old. I don't know how this is going to happen. So she takes matters into her own hands and tries to play God. But then she blames. Sarah blames Hagar after she conceives. And it's like, wait, isn't that what you wanted, Sarah? Didn't you want her to conceive and now you're blaming her? But here's what you have to realize and understand with what's going on in their culture. At the time, they didn't, they didn't have the modern medicine we have, and they didn't know who was the problem with the infertility. Was it Abe or was it Sarah? Well, now we know the problem was Sarah because Abe was able to make a child with Hagar, and she felt terrible about herself because, unfortunately, at that time, a lot of a woman's worth was found in whether she could have a child or not. And so she was devastated and responds with anger and deals harshly with her. She's probably physical with her, which is why Hagar flees. But there's not just Sarah's active sin. There's, there's Abe's passive sin going on here as well. And it's just like in Genesis 3. Adam, all we learned in Genesis 3, he was just with her. He was just there. Just goes along with it. Abe does the same. He just like, all right, I'll sleep with Hagar, even though he knew it was wrong, even though God had promised him a son through Sarah. And then he lets his bitter wife, Sarah, treat Hagar however she wants. I don't care. Do what you want. And this is the temptation of men ever since. To sit back and watch I've mentioned this before, well worth repeating. You know, one of my favorite definitions of biblical manhood is part of that is to reject passivity. Abe doesn't reject passivity. He is completely passive here. And both Abe and Sarah are equally sinful and equally disobedient here because they impatiently distrusted God and terrible injustice was done towards innocent Hagar. But God isn't God hasn't checked out. God is still involved here. Let's keep reading in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. God pursues her here. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? As if he didn't already know, but making conversation, it's relational. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. 
The angel Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered by mul- for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The Lord pursued her. Now the Lord hears her. Verse 12, He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. God pursued her. God heard her and God saw her. For she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Verse 14, Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. God does what he does here. He pursues, he hears, and he sees vulnerable, hurt Hagar. And he promises her numerous offspring as well. And for us today in 2020, here's what we need to know. God pursues, hears, and sees vulnerable, mistreated people today as well. Victims of all kinds. Victims of sexual abuse. Victims of racism. Victims of coronavirus. Victims of every kind of evil. God pursues them. God sees them. And God hears them. And in His perfect timing, in His perfect timing, He will bring justice to all injustice. And we can rest in that fact. But we're going to see in the next chapter, 17, God patiently promises, pursues, hears, and sees not just the vulnerable Hagar, but even impatient, distrusting Abe and Sarah. Why? Because God's patience is for everyone. God patiently promises them that I'm going to give you a child and he doesn't go back on it. They don't deserve it. They especially don't deserve it now. But God has made a promise to them and he always keeps his promise. This is just grace upon grace upon grace to them. And this is essential for us to believe today. Essential for us to remember as our world spirals into chaos that God offers his promise and his grace to everybody regardless of what they've done. And we're called to offer His promises and His grace to everyone as well. So let's look at chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you the exceedingly I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations and for an everlasting covenant to to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, 
all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Jump down to verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall call her name. Uh, You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. God is extremely patient once again with them. He promises them nations and blessing once again. And I'm like, how many times, God? When does your patience run out? But he takes it a step farther. He doesn't just promise them this again. He takes a step farther and changes their names. The meaning of their names and the meaning of your name was your very identity in this culture now means Father and mother of many. Yet, they had no kids. God promises this to them. He's committed to them. Even at age 99 to follow through with His promise. But of course, Abe, instead of going, yes, I trust you, God, hesitantly trusts Him. Verse 17, 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and worshipped. No, I wish. That's what he should have done. But no, he fell on his face and laughed. And said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, Hear the patience. But yet, you know, he's starting to be like, Come on. No. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And Abram finally gets it and trusts him. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house and bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abe laughs at him. He laughs at God after all that God has promised him. After all that God has done to make a covenant with him, he laughs in his face. Isn't that me though? Isn't that you? Isn't that us sometimes with God? We think, you know, it couldn't be that bad. You know, what you called me to, yeah, I know, I know I'm supposed to do that, but <laughs> nah, my way's better, God. You know, recently, real practical example, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I, God has made it very clear to me that I should not check my email when I get home. It's not a good idea for my mental health. Okay? Can wait till tomorrow. But I'm always tempted to check my email. So God's made it very clear, just don't do it, Matt. Well, three nights in a row I checked my email when I got home. Three nights in a row, my mind was reeling from emails I got because of it. 
It's because I was laughing at God, going, no, God, whatever. That's not that big a deal. And he's like, no, it is that big a deal. And I'm not saying that's what you have to do. That's just one of my practices that God has made clear to me. But we do this so often, right? And just laugh at what God clearly tells us to do or not do. But Abe goes from laughing at God's promise and he comes around to being circumcised. And everyone in his whole household because he trusted God. But the story ends strangely at the end of verse 17. The story ends with a bunch of promises from God in a bunch of different ways. Obedience, hesitant obedience, but obedience nonetheless from Abe. But absolutely none of God's promises were fulfilled. All it ends with is, hey, in a year from now, at age 190, you'll have a kid. If I was Abe, (laughs) I don't think I'd respond as trustingly as he did. I'd be like, I have to wait another year for anything? I've waited all these years already. But Abe responds well, and he trusts God. But Abe is living in a period of time now in his life that we live in today as Christians. And that's the already not yet period of his life. For Abe, he's already been promised offspring and blessing upon blessing. But yet, it's not here yet. Sarah's old and barren. She's still barren. Has not conceived. No child. Already not yet. And that is us as followers of Christ. We've been promised heaven, perfection with Jesus for all eternity, but yet here we are, not yet, still on earth under, under the power of the devil, the influence of the devil and evil and injustice all around us. Already, not yet. And so for the call, the call for us today is to trust God. Because of His sure promise. Even on days when we fall into impatient distrust of God to come back to His sure promise that isn't dependent on us. Even on days when we hesitantly trust Him because of all of the hardship around us that makes it difficult to trust Him. We need to ask God to give us strength. We need to be like that, that father of the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 9, 24 where he says to Jesus, I believe you. But help my unbelief. I mean, that's been me a lot lately. I'm sure it's been a lot of you as well. I believe. I trust you, but help my unbelief. Help my distrust. Help my hesitant trust. The good news, the gospel in Genesis 15 to 17 is that God patiently promises us Himself in the already not yet stage of history that we're in. Look back at 15 verse 1. The very first verse we started with today. The NIV says it perfectly. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. God patiently promises himself to Abram. That's the real reward. Even as Abram's in this already not yet, hasn't received anything yet from God. And as we are as well, God patiently is going, okay, don't be afraid. I'm your shield 
and your very great reward. I'm the reward, and I'm already here. Our confidence is rooted in Jesus' unilateral promise to us that while we were dead in our sins, sleeping like Abraham, God patiently promised us Jesus through his death and resurrection. And it's so sure that if he doesn't come through on it, he's as good as dead. He will cease to be God. And so, as we close, I want you to hear God this week say to you, do not be afraid, Trevor. I am your shield and your very great reward. Do not be afraid, Darla. I am your shield and your very great reward. Do not be afraid, Derek. I am your shield and your very great reward. Do not be afraid, Josh. I'm your shield and your very great reward. Do not be afraid, Ellie. I'm your shield and your very great reward. Hear God saying that to you this week. No matter what comes your way, He is your shield. And He is your very great reward, even in the already not yet phase that we live in. Let's pray. God, we, we believe. We trust You, but help our unbelief. Help our distrust of You, God. Help us to hear your words that you said to Abram to us daily, moment by moment, to not be afraid. And thank you that you are our shield and our very great reward. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.